Due to its length, tonight's discussion with Christian McLeod on Beyond Reality is divided into two podcasts. This is Podcast A. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Welcome to the program. Great to see so many new names joining us in our chat rooms. Welcome, everybody. It's so, it's great to have you all here. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. We've got Christian McLeod. Now, sometimes we have returning guests, and that would be true of Christian. However, the thing that makes Christian unique is he was on just two nights ago. He did a, uh, a last-minute fill-in for me because the guest that was scheduled that night had a, a last-minute emergency, couldn't do the show, and Christian and I had been talking earlier in the day, and he was the first one that responded, said, sure, I'll come on. And he did. We had a great discussion. So we're going to pick up where that discussion left off. We're going to be talking about cryptids and other paranormal topics, including ghosts, UFOs, various forms of cryptozoology, and uh, whatever else comes to mind. Uh, Christian has experienced most of it, has investigated much of it. And uh, it'll be a great discussion. I want you to make sure that you go to uh, YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal. If you search for my name, J.V. Johnson, you'll find it pretty easily. Also, Twitch has become a great platform for us, particularly for our weekend shows. That's really what it's going to be uh, used for primarily. We will stream our weekday shows there as well. But it'll be the weekend shows where we have a real focus on the Twitch channel, especially Saturday. Just so you know, when we from this point on, we do Saturday night shows. They will not be on YouTube. They will only be on Twitch. Friday night shows will continue to do both for a short period, and then we'll switch it to just, just Twitch. But either way, uh, Twitch channel is just JV Johnson as well. Please find that and follow it. If you are a subscriber to the Twitch channel, I know we've had a few people drop off. It's because when you use your Amazon Prime account to subscribe, which allows you to subscribe for free, you have to renew it every month. You've got to jump back in and do it each month. Otherwise, it just expires automatically. So uh, we appreciate the subscriptions. We appreciate the follows. And we appreciate the comments in the chat room. So anyway, I've said a lot here in the first part of the show. I don't usually take this much time. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, we'll bring our first, well, our only guest of the night in, Christian McLeod. We're going to talk about all things paranormal tonight on Beyond Reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Beyond Reality, and I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Follow me on Facebook. Tonight we're talking to Christian McLeod again. Yes, I often have guests on more than once. Rarely do I have a guest on twice in the same week, but that's what we're doing tonight. Christian, welcome back to the show. It seems like it was just yesterday, but it wasn't. It was the day before yesterday. Well, thank you for having me, JV. I am honored yet again to be back. And, uh, you know, it does. It, it feels like it was just 10 minutes ago. <laughs> again, well, again, I have to thank you for jumping in on Tuesday night and help. Was it Tuesday night? Uh, I think it was. Yeah, helping us out uh, last minute. That was very, very um, helpful and uh, bailed us out of a, of a bit of a fix. But tonight we're going to expand on all the things we talked about on Tuesday night. Um, 
Before we do that, I want to ask you about uh, something that you, you you sent to me in, in the information mm-hmm. sheet that we use. Um, you call yourself a paranormal or a cryptid detective. Why do you use the word detective instead of what most people would say, either investigator or researcher? Well, that's, that's actually a real good question. I'm glad you asked me that. I actually explained it on the website, too, because I've had people uh, ask me that. And here's why. Um, and this is just kind of the way I. This is just the kind of the way I take things. Um, a detective has to do research to solve a case, and then he's also investigating after he does research. Does that make sense? He investigates the research he's found. In other words, he gets a clue, and then he goes investigates it. That's kind of what we do in the cryptid world. We get some evidence, we research the area, and then we go investigate it. Mm-hmm. So that's where the whole detective kind of thing came from. And I just, I just thought, you know, everyone uses the name. Everyone's got the moniker researcher or investigator. And I just kind of think you actually kind of do both. So, so why not call what that is? And that's detective work. Okay. So what you're saying to me then is that you you are a researcher. You are an investigator. And when you put those okay. two things together, it's more appropriate to say detective because it encompasses all of it. Yes, sir. Exactly. How did you get your paranormal start? I know we talked about this a little bit the other night, but let's talk about it again. What, what, where did your interest and curiosity come from? Well, my paranormal start, I, I, you know, the paranormal stuff came from when I was a little kid. I grew up in northern Appalachia uh, in, in New England, and the town I'm from originally is just, it's incredibly historic. I mean, I believe it was originally founded in 1612, 16, something like, something like that. But anyway, oh, wow. it was uh, incredibly haunted. And simply because of the age, uh, it had been uh, Native American territory before it was uh, settled. And everyone that I knew as a kid, they had uh, pretty much family graveyards in their, their backyard somewhere, things like that. So that that kind of uh, paranormal energy was around everywhere. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that we had a, a ghost in my house when I was growing up as a kid. And I, it was something we were just used to. And then when we moved and uh, I went to college... Um, the strangeness that I was used to just kind of stopped, and I started wondering why. And then I would do some research and or hear some other things or talk to some friends of mine at home, and they were still having these things go on. And I just talked to myself, there's got to be something to this. And that's kind of what started the whole Megillah, I guess. The, um, the idea that uh, a town, because it's old, will have more paranormal activity is an interesting one to me. And I think there is some substance to that. But I want to ask you this question. Do mm-hmm. you think age plays more of a factor in something being having a paranormal activity? Or do you think it's a tragedy that could have occurred in that particular location? Or is it something else? Of those things, what do you think provides more fuel for paranormal activity to occur? Uh, JV, that's a good question. But I would I would have to go with... Unfortunately, tragedy, I, I think a tragedy, an unnatural death, and an unnatural death would be a death of some, uh, a person too soon, uh, a murder or, or an accidental death. That, to me, that is what we would call an unnatural death. It's not their time. A natural death would be, of course, you know, old age. So if, if that happens and that, that energy is there and that tragedy is there, that manifests over time. And, and see, I think time is a factor because the longer it has to manifest, the more powerful it becomes. And, and, and in those situations, you might have something that, you know, shows up, um, just say, like every three or four months, you'll, you'll have a sighting or you'll have uh, experiences or you might feel cold spots 
or or there's like a space in the attic you don't want to go into, or there's a place in like a barn you should stay out of, something like that, and that energy just manifests there. But I think uh, the the tragedy or the untimely or unnatural death is definitely probably the most powerful imprint uh, you can have for paranormal energy. But I think over time. It, it, it manifests more and becomes more powerful. So I think it's a little column A, a little column B. But if I had to choose one, it would be the unnatural death. And so would that explain why we have so much activity at places like battlefields? I mean, I know Gettysburg itself, oh, definitely. you know, is definitely. such such a hotbed of paranormal activity. So that would kind of explain that, wouldn't it? Yes. Actually, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking. I've got a. Uh, I, I teach uh, American history, and I got some bullets from Gettysburg, and. Uh, Every once in a while, um, I'll have a meter or something just tick next to one of them. It won't be much of one, but it'll be like just a little little tick, and then it'll go back to zero. And I often wonder if, if that bullet has something attached to it. Hmm. But yes, definitely. Well, that wouldn't be the first time. I mean, there are often uh, folks that bring something home um, that has something attached to it. So that's probably very likely. Have you ever spent any time specifically trying to determine if that's the case? No, and uh, honestly, the truth of the matter is, JV, I, if I had the time, I would love to do something like that, but the truth is, is I'm just I'm just so busy with, you know, the investigations and work and being a married man and things like that, so <laughs> I don't whole, have time to always, look at my own stuff. Yeah, always more things to do than there is time to do them. I know that feeling quite well. Uh, you, in your your paranormal start was related to where you grew up and the amount of activity, activity was there, and then you recognized after you left and went to college that not every place has that same amount of activity. So was it ghosts that really got your attention first? I, yeah, I would have to say definitely ghosts. And then, you know, uh, the area uh, where I, I grew up in, there was, there was a lot of... Uh, uh, ancestry from uh, the, the Celtic, you know, the Irish, the Scottish, um, Norwegian, and a lot of my friends and their family, they had, there was a lot of superstition there, a lot of superstition, including some people in my own family were very, very superstitious. So I think in a culmination of growing up in that type of environment, even in schools, I remember teachers in the third grade talking about how they had uh, problems with their house ghost that weekend or, or they seen something. I mean, so it was a very commonplace thing. And, uh, I, you know, like when you grow up with it, you think it's normal, right. but when you're, you're, when you, when you go away from it and you're talking about this to people that don't know what you, you know, they're, they're looking at you like crazy. You did what you were, you know, um, you, you understand that you were involved with something that's not normal. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely how I think it, it, it all kind of, amped up for me. Yeah, so it started with ghosts primarily, and then uh, along the mm-hmm. way you got a real taste for, for cryptid activity, specifically Bigfoot. Uh, mm-hmm. What uh, what drew you to that? Well, as, you know, I, I, I told you a story about uh, me walking with my grandfather and my cousin, and, and right. that was pretty much it. And then, you know, I know we talked about this, but I was really trying to remember the first time I really, really wanted to research Bigfoot, or I wanted to like get some kind of information about Bigfoot. And in search of, it had to have been when I saw that in search yeah. of, of uh, Bigfoot. And I don't think it was when I, it was originally aired because the truth of the matter is, it's kind of funny. I was actually looking up the original date for that um, earlier today because I know we talked about it a little bit earlier That's or right. a little bit. I, I know it wasn't earlier; it was earlier this week. 
And apparently that was on April 28th of 1977. So it must have probably been in a rerun probably in 79 or 80. But when I realized there was information out there as a little kid, I remember going to the library and asking about it. And they had, you know, books on like the Yeti and stuff like that. And there'd be some magazines like Fate magazine. I'd see one of those every once in a while or something like that. And that's that's where I would get information from. But I was always, always curious. You know what I'm saying? It's it's just one of those things where just always. I remember doing a report on Bigfoot when I was like in third grade, and uh, my teacher telling me that's probably not a topic I should cover. So. <laughs> um, you know that first in search of uh, featured the Patterson Gimlin film, and of course that's yep. been that's been kind of the holy grail of of Bigfoot footage anyway. Uh, since it was shot, what, in 68? I'm trying to remember the year. 19, October 27th, 1968, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Not that uh, I've seen it or researched it or on that. Do you, do you think it holds up to the test of time as far as being solid evidence of uh, of Bigfoot being alive? I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. Um, oh, yeah. What, what, what are your well, thoughts on it? I, I, the only time I ever doubted it, and let me just say, the only time I ever doubted it was when uh, the guy, uh, his last name was Hieronymus, I can't remember his first name, but he said he was wearing the suit. And if you watch the guy move, he he looked just he moved just like Patty. He really did. Mm. But you know they found he was a fraud. And the more and more they study the the Patterson film, the Gimlet film, the more and more they find things that lead them to believe it is a hundred percent authentic. And I have to be honest, I'm as a betting man, I, I'd say it's ninety percent accurate. I I mean that's that's. I'd say it's 90% real. Some, I mean, that's how confident I am in that. Some people... And if it was faked back then, I don't know how they did it. Uh, I don't... It, well, because, I mean, you the when they did the digitization, there's a, a muscle, and I believe her right quadricep, that's herniated, and you can see it move. I think it's easier um, to do a, to, to do a fake then than it is now. I mean, it's 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 obviously with computer technology. There's a lot of ways you can fake things, but back then, oh, I yeah. mean, you don't have the clarity in your video. It was a what no. Super Eight film. What was the original media? Uh, it was a sixteen millimeter, wasn't it? Was it a sixteen millimeter? I believe it was sixteen millimeter, and it was a Bell Howell. I, I think I could be wrong. I haven't looked at that That's in a, a while. Yeah, we'll have I to, to have a whole. We'll have to look. But at, he had a different kind of lens on it, and that was the problem. Is because. The original lens on it would have given it a different aspect on size because with the original lens on it, Patty would have seemed only like six or six or six and a half feet. And then when they explained that he had a different lens on it, it changed the aperture settings. So she was actually at least seven to seven and a half feet. Uh, so and, there was a whole thing about the camera. Yeah, and there's some that that, that say you can see a zipper. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, oh, critis- a whole bunch of criticisms out there. I don't think so. And here's the thing, you know... Um, you know, Gimlin's Bob Gimlin. He's still out there. You know, he's right. he's making the rounds and all this. And his story, if you ever listen to his story, there was a whole lot more to this. You know, they actually found what was it? They found three sets of tracks. Allegedly, there might have been another one or another two there. Like, and there was like a bigger male that they saw. Alleged, and you know, I, again, I haven't heard this from him, but I've heard different stories from me of what he allegedly said. And they tracked this thing five miles in the woods, and the you know they just couldn't find it. And then they took all those prints. Uh, I actually have a copy of the, one of the original Patty tracks. Well, that's cool. And uh, I mean, it's massive. I mean, you know, and she's a small female, so you know. And like I said, I myself, the biggest track I've ever found locally here uh, in North Carolina, and uh, what was that? Two years, three years ago, 
God, I can't, it goes so fast, JP. Um, was 21 and a half, well, almost 21 and a half by about 11 and a half uh, at the widest point. And you could see the the, um, the arch, and you could see the, uh, the mid-tarsal break in the leaflet. That's how heavy it was. So, you know, when you find a mid-tarsal break in a track, human beings don't have that. And uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of a dead ringer. But that's all pretty much because of Patty and, uh, you know, Dr. Meldrum. I think he's the other guy that pretty much I, – I think he would be the one that's probably credited with saying, hey, these creatures have a mid-tarsal break. So it's easy to find a fake footprint because it's hard to fake a mid-tarsal break. So, I mean, without that film, we wouldn't have that knowledge, and I don't think we'd have an idea of what a Type 1 looked like because all these different sightings correlated with Patty, and then there was different sightings, you know, geographically over, you know, like the Midwest had a different kind of Bigfoot, and then you go in the south and you have the Skunk Ape or the Swamp Ape, uh, you know. And and I, I think that, but without that particular footage and with all that, we wouldn't have all the uh the, uh, the intelligence, I guess we could call it today, because that, that kind of was the forefront of everything. We had people sightings and we had rumors and speculation, but without the Patty film, I don't think anyone would have bought into it. Yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, that opened the door to a lot of uh, interest yeah. and, and research into the whole concept. Um, so as you as you go through uh, your daily routine here, working with uh, the paranormal group, the Ash, it's the Asheville Cryptid and Paranormal Society, uh, is is cryptid research or investigation or detective work your focus uh, do you split it evenly among ghost research uh ufo i mean what's the what is your primary I mean, honest, focus jv the truth of the matter is it, it depends on what kind of we ha- what kind of evidence we have um at the time like we've got uh we've got two very very paranormally active places right now that we are just dying to investigate and with this covid 19 thing we just can't do it Right. You know, there's it's this there's one house that's being actively lived in right now that has stuff happen nightly. You know, we get videos almost every night of something strange happening. But there's some older people there and until this is, you know, hundred percent under control, they don't yeah. want anyone in there. And I can totally understand that and that's I agree. And uh and then on the flip side of that is even in our cryptid research, last week was the first time they opened up uh, in this area. Some of the the land we usually investigate on, but again, another problem with that is the places we usually research are still inaccessible. Yeah. So it's a it's a matter of what we can do right now. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not trying to dodge the question, but it's just I, our hands right now are just kind of tied. I mean, it's it's we're chopping at the bit to get out there. It's just. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and you're not alone. Obviously, everyone is uh, chomping to get at the bit to get out to do whatever they uh, usually are doing. And in fact, up here in New York State, uh, where we are, we're in upstate New York. They had talked about this phase two uh, reopening on starting on uh, Friday, tomorrow. And the governor just went on a radio program and said that uh, they're going to actually delay it. And they're not sure when they're going to reopen. So people who had been preparing to reopen tomorrow... Are now yeah, being told terrible. you can't. I mean, this is this is craziness. This is absolute insanity. Well, you know, they opened up. I, I also do uh, haunted tours. Uh, you know, uh, on the weekends, and uh, I mean, Asheville's just an incredibly haunted place, and uh, I do that with uh, in conjunction with Josh P. Warren. I actually work for Haunted Asheville on the weekends, and you know, we usually have 
our, our tours this time of year are just we're slammed. Right. And uh, we we opened up. We haven't been able to. Do them. I think we were down for three months. We weren't able to do them. And uh, we opened up last weekend. Downtown Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville, North Carolina is definitely what we call a tourist town. And this time of year, it is usually you can't you can't find a parking spot. It's you know, there's people everywhere. It looked like last weekend I had a tour. I had one on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we were actually walking down the middle of the street for an hour and a half with no nothing. There was just nothing. Wow. So uh, I, in fact, by now I'm usually booked. Uh, on my tours, I don't have anything lined up for tomorrow, so I don't know how that's going to go. But that's just the way the town is. It's like no one's, you know, there's very few people here. Uh, we've been open for a week in phase two, uh, but it's not, it's just not happening. You know what I mean? I mean, we might as well just be in a lockdown because that's, that's the way it looks. I mean, it looks like a ghost town. <laughs> and last time of this year, it's just the complete opposite. So it's, and I don't know that's going on everywhere. And, you know, I'm, but what can you do? And I don't really, I'm not. I don't get political, JV. But I don't really blame any of the powers that be for any of this stuff. This is just something that's happened. You know, as a historian, you know, the pandemic in 1918. You know, I mean, it, it pretty much influenza happened because of all the of soldiers coming back. That's that's how it was. You know, and that's how it was um, spread. But I mean, the pandemic's a pandemic. I mean, it can affect anywhere at any time. So I mean, it, it is what it is. Well, but, uh, yeah, we're it's, not. It's just a tragedy. It is, and we're not here to debate it. But you, uh, there is nope, a debate nope. that can be had about whether or not the response uh, was there is, measured. But I don't do politics. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably smart to stick because there's no winning. <laughs> yes, there's absolutely no winning. You know, one of the things that I, I look at what you do and in, in the stories that you've been able to share with us so far, and I uh, look at other people that have been on this program and shared. Some many people come on and say, "Well, I've had I had this ghost experience on this day, and then a week later I had a UFO encounter, and then a week after that I had big." foot on my you know showing up on my porch you know there are certain people who seem to have all of this activity and it spans you know parent paranormal genres now um there are also places that seem to have that same type of thing where you've you've got mm-hmm. places like skinwalker ranch or or there's some oh, yeah. pl- places in pennsylvania and i'm sure you know others where they have bigfoot sightings but they also have ufo uh, sightings and there's also a bunch of haunted houses or whatever do you think there is any type of um, connection between either uh, certain people that draw all sorts of activity or locations that do the same thing, and and if you if if you do, do you think that the activity itself is all connected, which makes it work that way? I you know I have been thinking I have been wondering that for probably twenty six twenty seven years. I personally think that there, and I don't want to sound negative, JB. That's not, I am not a negative person, but I think there is a a large subset category of people that allegedly see things that, for lack of better words, I call them PT Barnum's. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I honestly believe that I've run into them. I know what I've seen. I know the research I've done. And when people start talking and telling me, well, yeah, I, I saw a twelve foot Bigfoot. And he was floating in a transcendental meditation, and he mind spoke with me, and blah blah blah, and he healed a scar I had, and blah. I, no, I don't. I, when someone starts telling me that, I'm, I'm out. I don't buy it. Are UFOs connected with anything? Hundred percent possible. I am a huge believer 
uh, in UFOs. In fact, I, I you know I did uh, the I did a horseback ride on the Sagebrush Ranch years ago in Vegas in, in Nevada, and that borders Area 51, and that that was some trippy stuff because you you just didn't know what you were going to see. I was just kind of right. you that just you had that all ominous feeling the whole time you were just on right on that ride. And then talking to people out there, they tell you about some of the stuff they've seen, and it's just, you know, it's it's got to be connected. I'm a huge believer that everything is connected every way, like everything. We just can't perceive it. You know, there's there's a connection to everything. Everything is connected. It's just at some point we just have to have our minds open enough to figure it out and adopt, accept, accept and apply it. You know, and, and put it in our, our our metaphysical thought process, but. There are people that will take advantage of that, and, you know, I think they make everyone else look bad. As far as places, I completely believe that there are places that are inherently magnets for paranormal, supernatural events. I also think that some places are just plain evil. Like, uh, an example would be not too far from where you are, the Amityville House. I mean, that's just an evil place. Yeah. For some reason, evil has set shop up there, you know, and that's just the way it is. Um, but people that see paranormal events, you know, I, I could put myself in that category. I've seen some crazy stuff. I have, right. I, I've, I've seen like, you know, some, uh, spiritual, you know, being just walk through the wall and have a conversation with me. No, I mean, no, but I've seen entities, shadow beings, things like that. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen things move on their own accord. I've, I've seen, uh, communication with ghost boxes. I mean, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff, but. You know, as far as, like, something that you'd see in a movie where you just, you know, like, paranormal activity or something like that. No, I, I've never seen that. But I think, it is it possible that everything's, you know, I think places attract certain energies. And depending on the place is what kind of energy you're going to get. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I can't put you in the same category because you go out in search of this stuff as opposed right. to it just coming to you. So. Um, you know, it's. It would, I'm hoping that you have a lot more activity and all sorts of activity uh, that would make sense. Um, yeah. I want to. I want to change the topic to Dogman. We touched on Dogman mm-hmm. uh, the last time you were on, and uh, this is a creature that the reports are far more sinister than some of these other cryptid reports that we get. Tell us about Dogman a little bit. Describe well, what you hear as Dogman looking like and acting like. I, the dogman I saw, I'll, I'll just tell you straight up what I saw. I was, uh, my wife and I had just moved up to North Carolina, and we were on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and we were completely, utterly lost. I had no idea where we were. Uh, the GPS didn't work, wasn't working. We were just getting that circle of death. Um, neither one of the phones worked. And I was doing about 35 miles an hour just thinking we're in the middle of nowhere. I have no, I, I, again, I was just happy we had gas. And uh, my wife had fallen asleep in the passenger side. And we were coming around this corner. And I looked down, and at first I thought that it was a huge bear. And as we were driving, um, just hypothetically say we were driving south. So as we looked south and I looked to my left, uh, that would have been west, but it was down a little, like a a small down embankment, probably 30 feet. And on this massive fallen tree uh, next to a big rock was sitting this creature, this 
ominous, horrifying-looking creature that was just massive. Uh, it was definitely a, an alpha type, wasn't a doubt in my mind. Jet black, had these yellowish-greenish eyes, had the ears protruding, but it, 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 its muzzle was closed. I didn't see any teeth. Um, it had arms in front of it like it was leaning over, kind of like a, what a football player looks like when they're down in a stance. That's where his arms were, and his arms were just massive. He had a chest. He had these huge shoulders, and his head. I mean, everything fit to the body style. I mean, everything looked like it was perfect, um, and it, it was just glistening. It was so black. It was glistening, and I locked eyes with this thing, and I almost drove off the road. I, I just started shaking a little because I'm like, up till then, I did not believe in dogma. I thought it was a uh, Bigfoot. Uh, mistaken identity kind of thing. Now, did you say he was just sitting there? He was just sitting there. He looks at me, and his head kind of turns to the side like a puppy. And then either it was either a small butterfly or a, a bumblebee flies by his ears, and he stops and looks at it, and just kind of his head turns, and it looks like a big puppy. And he just he could have cared less I saw him. And I think the reason was is because he knew I was absolutely no threat. There was no mind speak. There was nothing like that. There was no. I mean, I was terrified. I was shaking. But I can tell you this: if this thing wanted to get me, it could have pulled my car off the road, ripped the doors out, and done whatever it wanted to. There's no doubt in my mind. It was that. It was that massive. Now, there's a lot of stories about, uh, you know, dogmen being the crypto terrorist. That was a, a phrase coined by a guy named Dark Waters. Um, and uh, a lot of reports, I've had the reports, too, where they'll tap on windows and literally scare the bejesus out of people, and they say they smile at them. Or they'll do the come here with the finger kind of thing and just scare people, and then they, that's it. That's all they do. They don't really do anything. Uh, I've had reports where, you know, livestock's taken away. They will find some stuff killed. It, it depends. Um, but these creatures, I believe they're xenocephali. And for those of your viewers that don't know what a xenocephali is, um, if you go back in the historic ledgers and, and you look at folklore and mythology, uh, mythos and mythology, uh, Anubis was a xenocephali. Um, Marco Polo had run-ins with xenocephali. You know, um, uh, apparently um, Alexander the Great hired xenocephali to be mercenaries in his army. So there's, there's folklore all throughout the ages on xenocephali. And, and, you know, they've been very, you know, prevalent. And I think what happened is is now they're making a comeback. You know, there's a book called uh, by Sir, I think it's John Mendeville. It's called The Book of Marvels and Travels. And it's about a, 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 him traveling to the Holy Land in uh, the 13th century. And he goes to different places on his route there, but he goes into island, awful islands in India and things like that, and they're run by these creatures. And you have to follow certain... You know, customs so they don't get mad and eat you uh, when you meet them and things like that. But they're all throughout the historic record. Um, so what I think happened is I just think that they're, you know, uh, as humanity grew, there was less room for them, and they just kind of took off and, and went and lived in the wilderness. Uh, and, and, you know, since then their numbers have either dwindled or they're starting to increase. So I, I don't know. I mean, I... I have theories about why we don't see as many as people think that we do and, and what happened and why we're seeing more now. And it's, uh, it's not it has nothing to do with deforestation. I think their numbers are just getting back to where they were originally were. They're, they're increasing? Is that what you're saying? The numbers are increasing? 
I believe they are. I, I think they're increasing. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're seeing more of these creatures because we're taking away their natural habitat and things like that. That's, there are there, – there is so much natural forest left and, and places for these creatures to be. I, I don't think that's it. I mean, I think uh, humanity, we're, we're going, you know, more and more uh, into the woods as far as being there. Like, there's a lot of survivalists now. There's, it becomes – you know, uh, on the weekends, it becomes cool to get dropped 15, 20 miles in somewhere and then, you know, survival is kind of thing. So I think that's where you're seeing more sightings. And, you know, with the technology today, you know, that's why we're getting more videos and things like that. But I think uh, what had happened was, um, and I, I can, this is just going to be an example of why I think we're having more sightings of, of all cryptids, but specifically Bigfoot and, you know, cephalite. So I, if you want me to talk about that, I'd be more than happy to. Well, I want to know if you have something else you want me to talk about. Well, for, for, I'm going I'm to take this in a structured way. I want to know, uh, based on your experience and the reports that you're getting, are these dogman sightings becoming more common? And how common are they? How frequent? Uh, they're very common in my area around the spring. Very common. And here's why. I personally think that they follow migration pattern just like Bigfoot. Hmm, okay. And here's here's how I explain that. And let's just take Bigfoot. If you're just say let's just say you're a 12 foot, 1500 pound North American primate covered in hair. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to want to hang out in Florida in the summer, or are you going to travel up north where there's still an unbelievably ample food supply, but the weather's much more conducive to your conditions? Well, I can tell you this. Yeah. I uh, I'm I'm I may be 1500 pounds, but I'm not covered in hair. And I don't right. want to spend summers in Florida. In fact, sometimes spring and fall is difficult for me in Florida. So I can't imagine they'd want to be there. Exactly. So I think they migrate. And I think I think they use the Appalachian Trail, and I think they use the, the California Mountain Range and the Rocky Mountain Range. I think they just use those all as travel routes. And I think they go up into Canada. I think they come back down. I think a lot of times, you know, why we have so many sightings in the spring is because they're coming back from up south, down south and then they're headed up north. I, I think that's what they do. To me, that makes sense because, you know, we, we have our patterns. You know, every, every every living creature will follow some sort of pattern, either it be a migration pattern, a breeding pattern, food pattern, something. And um, from what we've established, even in our accounts, you know, um, we can just do from when we get the reports the time of year. Now, do we get reports year-round about specific things? Of course, you know, because there might be some that decide, hey, this is fine for me. I don't need to go anywhere else. North Carolina, Appalachia, there's plenty of food here, plenty of land, plenty of water, you know, plenty of privacy, so they can disappear. You know, it's not like, you know, that, that would be hard for them to do. But I think a lot of them decide to go up north, just probably because they've been doing that since, you know, you know they were with their parents. So it's just some, uh, you know, learned behavior. You know, it's one thing to be but, a bird and migrate like that. I mean, you can by air, it's a lot quicker. Uh, if you've got a bunch of these creatures on foot, uh, yeah. moving from north to south or south to north, uh, it seems like they would be seen a lot more than they are. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a great great observation, but the truth of the matter is, uh, they, one, they don't want to be seen. Two, there is enough natural forest. I mean, if you were to look at a map right now of natural forests or, or you know, national forest up and down the eastern seaboard, they, you know, they can just do that. They don't need to be seen. You know, they travel at night predominantly. You know, they're nocturnal. You know, who's going to see them? Their, their, their entire evolutionary process has made them blend into where they are. Do you I think? Mean, you know, if, if you take a guy in a ghillie suit 
Yeah. And he goes five feet off the path in the, you know, any natural forest, any any path or any trail, you're not going to see him. So if these creatures are, or you know, they're designed to blend in. You know, and as far as, you know, if you take a dogman or seen a supply, they don't want to be seen. They're not going to be seen. I mean, if, but think about this. How many times do you see a bear in the wilderness, you know, if you're hiking? Yeah. It, I it's mean, very rarely. No, they're good and, at, and, you know, we know there are bears out there. So it's, yeah. it's, I think it's the same thing with these creatures. Except these creatures are highly intelligent, JB. They're highly intelligent. They know human beings equal death. And I think that's probably one of the biggest deterrents there is. Because there's a doubt in my mind. I have a, a guy that used to research in the big ticket in Texas, and he told me point blank, he goes, well, the amount of crime and stuff that happens up there and all the guns that go off in, in the big ticket, he goes, they'd have to know what a gun is. They'd have to, and they'd have to know what it can do. So they, they probably avoid anyone with guns. Let's... And I, I believe that. And I, I also think uh, one of the reasons why we don't, get like a whole lot of pictures of these creatures from like trail cams and things like that. Have you ever used trail cams? Not personally. Just, no, no, I haven't. I've um, seen a lot Davey, of uh, a trail cam is a great thing, but it's also, it's not that great. And here, let me, here's my explanation on this. Trail cams are, if you get a real expensive one, you know, two, 300 bucks, it's great. It's like a little camcorder, you know, it's, but it's still got that same IR light that activates it. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that they see in the infrared spectrum. That's why they have such good night vision. That's why they, you know, that's why they can see things. And I think they can also smell the plastic. So I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, they avoid them. So when you put these things on trails, I think they can smell them and then just go deeper off trail. And I think that's just, I mean, that's just a side note. But, I mean, that's another reason. Because I always get people to say, well, why don't you put these on the trails? Well, two reasons. One, I think they can see them. And two, people tend to steal them. So, <laughs> you know, Right, but, right. Right. Um, I just I just want to remind folks, we're talking to Christian McLeod tonight. Um, you can find out more about his group and his work at Asheville Cryptid and Paranormal Society dot com. And we've been talking about cryptids primarily. We did talk a little bit about ghosts early in the conversation, but we're going to swing around to more of all of this and spread the conversation out. I want to go back to uh, to Dogman, though. Um I'm assuming, based on how you replied to this question when we talked about Bigfoot, that you also believe Dogman is a flesh and blood creature. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Uh, and I think that would explain why there's so much of, of uh, Dogman in the historical account. I mean, look at the Egyptians. You know, I mean, Anubis was a god. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, especially when you have primitive men, they see something that's just so uh, ominous and powerful, they're all going to make the assume it's a deity. So I mean that's that's definitely think, something. Do you think there, do you think they're evil? Do you think there's anything evil about Dogman? I, I don't think they're evil incarnate. I think that you know I, it's like human beings. I think you got some good ones and you got some bad ones. I think you can have a dogman that's had a bad day, and you know he might take it out on people. Um, you know I'm I'm a, I don't know if you've ever read any David Pilates books. I I have actually yeah. Okay, there's a one I, I I'm a you know he doesn't come out and say what he thinks it is. You know, he's never said that, and I respect that about him. Now, I'm not saying that everyone that disappears meets an angry cryptid, but I'm willing to bet there's a pretty good amount of them that have. And if you have, like, a rogue male, either Dogman or Bigfoot, someone that's been deposed that maybe been an alpha one point in time, but now he's deposed and, you know, he's been banished from his tribe or something like that, or he's injured, you know, and they're looking for an easy meal, I think they're opportunistic eaters. 
And I think that, you know, uh, we're, we're a hot lunch in the right circumstances. So I think that's part of what's going on in there. But that also brings me to believe um, why they're not widely acknowledged, why the governments of the world won't acknowledge them, is because they'd have to explain that they've probably known they're around for a long time. Assuming, they, assuming were, they aren't evil in any right. any direct way, um, why is it that so many reports of encounters with these creatures, these dogman creatures, come with a, a description of a great sense of foreboding? And a lot of the people that encounter these feel there's an evil about them. Is that just because they're menacing, or are they sensing something greater than that? Well, here's the, here's the, the key word is that they had an encounter and they walked away. You know, if you ever see any werewolf movies where they're just complete killing machines and they kill everything they see, that'd be a different story. But when people walk, if you get a report, that means someone saw something. I think what they are is I think they enjoy scaring us. I think we're their entertainment. Mm. I think they enjoy scaring us because they think, I, I honestly think they have a sense of humor, JB. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I think they, you know, they got nothing better to do. Let's right. go scare some of the hairless apes. Right. Does Dogman yeah. uh, travel in packs or are they solo creatures? I believe they do. I, I think they have pack. I think they're pack mentality. And that's pretty scary they're in still itself. Canid. I mean, I think they're highly, highly, highly intelligent canids. You know, they're just massive canids. And, you know, they, they have that pack mentality. They have an alpha. They have an alpha female. And that's just, again, this is my opinion. I, don't, I can't prove it. But from the reports I've taken, you usually see stuff like that. You know, I, I had uh, one guy tell me, you know, North Carolina, like I said, North Carolina-Tennessee border is a dogman hotspot. Um, and uh, there have been reports of, uh, you know, uh, lone dogmen trying to attack people. But when they're in pairs, they usually don't. So yep. that tells me that that, that, you know, that lone wolf-type mentality means he probably doesn't have a pack or something like that. And he's yeah. just trying to do whatever he can to survive. But there's a reason why he's not in a pack, and that's probably because, you know, he maybe he did what he was supposed to, not supposed to do, and maybe he had a bad attitude. I don't know. But when you hear about reports of one or two or three of them, and they encroach on, uh, you know, like a farm or something like that, usually hear about them like, uh, you know, taking some pigs or a cow or something like that, and they really don't mess with anyone. You know, they, they're just going after their dinner or something like that, and then they're gone. Right. So, I mean, I, you know, it's all situational. It depends. Uh, as far as being evil incarnate, I don't think anything's evil incarnate. I mean, if, if these creatures were just playing evil incarnate and, you know, you had 20 or 30 of them, I mean, think of the damage they can do. When, you know, they could just walk up into a small town and just, you know, destroy it. So, right. I mean, I don't think they're evil incarnate. I think if if an issue is forced on them, they, they have no problem, with, you know, handling it with violence. But uh, I don't think they're evil incarnate. Um, is there a pattern to their sightings or their activity? I mean, you did talk about some um, uh, migration, but other than that, I, yeah. is there any kind of pattern? I, I think they're definitely, you know, let's just say you're 1,200 pounds, you know, 9, 10-foot, basically werewolf. You're going to have to eat. <laughs> And you're probably not a vegetarian. So I think what they do is they, they follow food sources. So, um, you know, and, and from what, I've understood, what I understand, I know there's a, uh, a disease going around killing a lot of deer, but I, from what I understand, there's never been so many deer in this country or in this, you know, this part of the world than there, ever, there is this today. Right. So I think that's another reason why we're having so many more sightings, because when you have more food sources, then you're going to have a bigger 
population that eats the food sources. Right. So I think what happens is is they follow, you know, herd migrations. So I think that's why you see them in different areas uh, at different times in the, of the year. And uh, my last question about dogman, at least for now, is explain the difference to me between a dogman and a lycanthrope or a, a werewolf. Uh, that's easy. One of them is a natural. Uh, uh, a dogman is a dogman. He was born a dogman. He slash she was born a dogman. They grow up a dogman. They've always been a dogman. They don't transmogrify. They don't morph into anything else. Whereas a werewolf, a folklore werewolf, werewolf is a human being part of the time. And during a full moon cycle or another mythos and folklore, they can do they can they can transmogrify at will. So, and that would be it's a, it's a supernatural type creature. Now, what we look at supernatural creatures is is they either have um, powers given to them by deity or by you know uh, the devil. So, if you look at a werewolf, a werewolf is evil incarnate. His powers are given to him by the devil. You know, and, and that's how. If you look at the beast of Jebudan, that's how that was all. You know, his, he was given the, a wolf pelt by the devil, and plus, so, so. and then that's kind of how that works. Um, so that that's the realm of the supernatural, whereas a dogman is just a natural, regular creature. We're talking, and there's nothing supernatural. Yeah, about. we're talking with Christian McLeod tonight. Um, again, he's part of and leader of the group Asheville Cryptid and Paranormal Society. Which, if you, if you add a dot com to that, you can visit their website. Be sure to listen to part two of my discussion with Christian McLeod as we talk about all things paranormal right here on Beyond Reality. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.